Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Father, I want to thank you this morning because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive and together our faith is built up in the word of God and wisdom is made available to us in Jesus' mighty name we pray. I want to examine something this morning that I call the biblical view of work. Biblical view of work. Or biblical view of work. (laughs) Um, what does God say, or what does the Bible say about our work? What does a believer, what should be a believer's perspective to his work? In 1985, a man by the name of Bob Black, Bob Black, in 1985, wrote an essay, or like a book, He titled the book, The Abolition of Work. The word abolition means the end. The end of work. And this is what he said. No one should ever work. Work is the source of nearly all the misery in the world. Almost any evil you care to name comes from working or from living in a world designed for work. In order to stop suffering, we have to stop working. And unfortunately, in a leisure-loving environment like ours, a lot of people tend to agree with this subconsciously in their mind. Now, for those of you who read um, mythologies, you know, there's, there's a, a Babylonian mythology that, um, well, of course, we know it's not true. But the, myth, the Babylonian mythology goes like, you know, the gods finished creating the earth. There was a god called Madoc. And uh, by the time he finished creating the earth... He felt like, oh, we've done a wonderful work of creation. Now who is going to help us take care of the world? So in that mythology or in that story, they said, let's create a lower person called man to take care of the whole work. And unconsciously also, we feel that way. Like, if Adam had not sinned, right, we would not have been working. All of this suffering we're going through, all of this going to work from Monday to Friday is because Adam had sinned. You know, we have this concept of the fact that, you know, in fact, have you even heard, when I was younger, a pastor taught it. I was thinking back now, I was wondering, why was he teaching that? You know, that, in fact, the way the world was before, before man sinned, if you just sit down and you just say, apple, apple will just come. You just say, you know, cashew, cashew will just come. You know, and most of us, I, I might spend time to, to teach on, on heaven. Unconsciously, most of us have very erroneous perception of what heaven is. You know, so for instance, some of us feel, oh, you know, you've heard it many times. I just, I'm just saying it. That heaven is paved with a street of gold. So unconsciously in your mind, you just think that, you know, it's a place where gold it's just, you know, there's just gold. you just be walking in gold. So if you don't use gold now, you just tell yourself, don't worry. By the time I get to heaven, you know, I'll be walking on the streets of gold. <laughs> How the spirits 
work on material substance. That's gold. Gold is material. And for some of you, I've even heard people say, oh, well, they're building a house for you. And we know the house is taking time because cement is cast now. So Jesus Christ is managing budget. And you, the reward God gives you for serving him all of your life is a building like this. You need to revisit what you have heard and what you have been taught. The same thing with work. We see work as a punishment. Like if Adam had not sinned, we would not be going to work. We would just be in the garden, just singing, Holy, holy, holy are you Lord, holy are you Lord, holy are you Lord. And because of that, the, the definition of our welfare system in church is corrupted. Our approach to work is corrupted. And not even helping matters is the way we teach favor in church. Because for us, the concept of favor is what? You do less work, you make more money. Am I right? Come on, talk to me now. Am I right? That's the way we're taught. Like, you know, praise the Lord, I didn't even do anything. They just brought it. Then, concept of miracle money. Miracle money. You know, I just, ah, I just saw seven million in my account. God just put it there. Okay. Okay. So, life is very simple. It is either you are working or you are depending on someone who is working. There's no two ways about it. It's either what? You are working or you're doing what? You're depending on someone who is working. Favor cannot be channeled to you in the absence of work. So, it is either if, if you are if, you, if, if you're not working right now and you're eating, you're drinking, you're doing whatever you want to do and you just say, ah, it's God. You know, people just say, I don't even know how God is taking care of me. This God is too good. The God is too good through somebody who is working. Because the legitimate channel of God's blessings on humanity is true work. Okay. You know, in this part of the world, when I mean this part of the world, not just Africa, in, even in Nigeria, this is our main, main part where we are. You know our brother's perception to work. I have a job. My name is, I hope none of your name is Jumbo this morning, but I'm sure there's tendency. My name is either Jumbo, Brown, or whatever. Alright? And then, if Femi comes into town, so what do you do? Because I'm the big boy. The indigene. Oh, Femi, you're in church. <laughs> you know, I'm the indigene. Femi is the foreigner. What happens? My job is paying 100000 Okay, Femi, take my name. Femi becomes Femi Jumbo Brown. And goes at work. And I sit at home, doing what? Collecting maybe 30000 And then Femi is collecting 50000 And what is that? What, what does that tell us? You're a big boy. Why? Because our perception of work is that work is suffering. So, when we say, for instance, God has favored us and God has blessed us, what we really have in our mind is the day we will never walk. Just get up in the morning, cross your leg, read newspaper, drink juice, and then you can call everybody, hey, you come, hey, you do that, hey, you do that. And, and subconsciously, we also raise our children like that because we tend to punish them with work. We make them see work as punishment. But is that what the scripture teaches? 
Is that how God view? Is that God's view of work? Now we have three world views of work. World views means the way people see work. Number one, some Christians view work as a curse. Or at least as part of the curse of living in a fallen world. So they see that if man had not sinned, we will all not be working. We'll just be just, I mean, we'll be very healthy. At least we're in the garden. If you finish eating strawberries, you eat apple, you eat this, you just, you know, just have that fun. Number two, there are others who make the distinction between what they perceive as sacred, that is serving God, and secular. So, sacred and secular means the only time I worship God is when I'm in church like this. But by the time I go to my work, it's work. You even hear believers, you know, sit with you and say, you know, uh, pastor, this is not church. This is business. You know, and in their mind, right, God does not come into business. God does not come into work. So, for instance, as I am a minister of the gospel, people say, I'm working for God. And then for an engineer, the engineer is not working for God. He's working for himself. So there are people who have those, that kind of thought. Number three, there are also those who make an idol out of their work. They expect their work to be the source of security, the source of identity. So for instance, those people, if they are doing jobs like, for instance, they are carpenters, they don't have um, a good self-esteem. Alright? If they are drivers, they don't have a good self-esteem. To them... The work is what defines them. So they rather be doctors, lawyers, you know, just barrister. You know, they like those, where do you work? Um, oil and gas. You know, because for them, their identity comes from the work, the job, the career that they do. And the danger with those people is that they will sacrifice anything for their career. In all of these three, is any of them correct? No. In, in the book, Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren said, Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of His presence. Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of His presence. I'm just going to lay the foundation this Sunday. Next Sunday, I'll continue on it. But, you see, our work can become tools of worship. Our work can become tools of worship. Those who hold a secular view of work believe that life is divided into two parts. One is spiritual and work is in the other real dimension. So they feel work is the real one. And these two have nothing to do with each other. So God stays in his corner of the universe while I go to work and live my life. And these are two different realms entirely. What are the problems with this viewpoint? Number one. The one problem with secular viewpoints is that it sets us up for disappointment. If you leave God out of the picture of your life, you will have your sense of importance from your job. And if anything happens to that job, you would lose your sense of importance. You lose your sense of value. Even though work is important. But if you tie your whole identity to that job, what happens is if anything happens to that job, you lose your sense of purpose. That's why you find out that sometimes when people lose their job, what happens? They go into drinking, they start misbehaving, and because everything about them was what? The job. But it's not the job who give, that gives us identity. What gives us identity? Who we are in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? Okay. I know there's nowhere to say amen in the message, so I'll just be asking you to say it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is more like class lecture, Abby. 
The circular view of work tends to make an idol of career. Career becomes the number one priority in your life. Your relationship with God takes a backseat. Family takes a backseat. Even your relationship with other people takes backseat just to focus on your work. Everything gets filtered through one question. What impact will this have in my career? So for people who work, it's like that is it. They don't mind. Their worship to God can suffer. Commitment to relationship, they don't even... Family is not important. And they will give one excuse. Is it not you people I'm working for? Am I not working to feed you? You know, sometimes, if you have so poured yourself into your work and you don't have connection with your family, by the time you resign from that work and you want your family to spend time with you, you would have used your money to separate your family. You know, sometimes in life, it is not money that's the ultimate provision you need to give to your family. You go to work in the morning, you come back tired, you can't spend time with your wife, you can't spend time with your children, you don't even know what your children like. Your nanny is closer to your children than you. You have to reevaluate your priorities. You don't have time for God. You don't have time to serve God. And if something happens now, ah, but God, I pay my tithe. You said the devourer. You know, most of us, our concept of God is like, maybe because of the way sometimes we pastors have made God to sin. It's like, you know, God is just like, I don't know how to describe it now. Like, you know, just give him money. Give him money. Once you just pay, you will mark your name. You understand that kind of concept? Then when you want to pray, remind him that you have paid. You are not owing. So when you now go before God, you carry... Lord, this is my tight booklet. You can, I say you can read. Read it. And you know, the God you're talking to is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Because you know, you can't even approach God based on the sacrifice of Jesus because it doesn't mean anything to you. That's not your basis for serving God. I pray, I'm really praying, and, and even in my own life, I'm praying that the day will come when when some people even want to give to church, we'll tell them, don't worry, we won't require that money. Just hold it. Just keep serving God. You know, as all of us are seated here this morning, if we put money in each of our seats, right, and nobody comes to church, we will not have a church. Do you understand what I'm saying? It still takes people to make up the body of Christ. The challenge I'm giving to you this morning is this, my brothers and sisters. Work must never replace the vital things in your life. If you're too, if you're working and you're too busy for your family, you're working too much. You're too busy to serve God, you're working too much. You must reevaluate your life in the, in the, with the perspective of eternity. The secular view of work leaves God out of the system. This is particularly unacceptable for Christians, for believers. God calls us to make Him the center of our life. He wants us to have a biblical worldview that weaves Him into every aspect of our lives, including work. He wants to be invited into our work. He wants to be the Lord of our work. What's God's plan from the beginning? Please go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 
chapter 2. Praise the name of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, The Lord, the Lord, God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So God planted a garden and put the man he had formed. Let's go to verse 15. Now, in, 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 Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible says, But a mist went up from the earth and watered the face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man. So, before man came, there was that mist watering the earth. Let's go to verse 15 now. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. To tend and keep it. The Amplified says, And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend, to guard, and to keep it. To tend, to guard, and to keep it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The ESV version says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. In a perfect world of Eden where there was no lack, where there was nothing, God took man and says, Listen, you have responsibility for this garden. So, work was not after the fall. Work was before the fall. Was Adam at this point working for his salary? No. Was he working because he was hungry? No. Come on now. Was he working because he was hungry? Was he working because he had a wife? You know, for some of, for some of us young guys, it's only when we want to think of marriage that we are serious about working because we can live on coke and bread for the rest of our life. Just coke and bread and TV. Coke, bread and DSTV. We are fine. So, we understand that when God gave man this work, it wasn't just because man needed to work for money. I'm... I'm, I'm I'm pointing out something. Because for us, most times our definition of work is about the money. So why did God ask man to work and there was no salary? It was because work was one of the expressions by which he exercises dominion over the earth. And that's why we have a very low volunteering culture in our part of the world. You do know why? Because we cannot do work for free. It does not make sense. In fact, by the time you go and volunteer, after two weeks, they say, ah, where are you going? Say, I, I volunteer with this organization. Say, how much are they paying you? Say, ah, nothing. It's just volunteering. Say, ah, no, 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 no. They are using you. I like what Pastor Banky said. He said, if people cannot use you, you are useless. They are using you. In those days, when people had IT, industrial attachment letters, you understand? Maybe somebody read a Greek. They go look for agricultural company. So the purpose of industrial attachment is for you to learn the practical aspect of your business. You will see somebody who studied mechanical engineering doing industrial attachment in a bakery. Ah, why? He said, ah, man, they are paying me 40 something thousand a year. In fact, when you even send young people on errand, I say, can you help me? Well, we don't send people now this because everybody is a big boy. 
But when you send people and say, oh, can you help me go get that? Then they hold the change. <laughs> and they are waiting for you. I say, ah, no, I'm your boy now. I'm your boy. Even an old man who is older than you becomes a boy. Why? And listen to me carefully. Unconsciously, we have created a culture of learned helplessness. Learned helplessness leads to two things. Number one, there is a a deep-seated anger against the rich. A bitterness against the rich. You just... When you, you just feel that this man is rich, he owes me something. And then there's a sense of helping people out of guilt. And so even though we are blessed by the messes and the work of our hands, we just feel uncomfortable until we dish something to the poor. Because then the poor will make you feel guilty for having what you have. And that's not God's way for us. And so we create that culture that doesn't value work. Because our concept of a big man that the Lord has favored is the man that can just wake up and call people at the back and call and not do anything. And so we don't value work for the sense of work. We only value work for what it brings in. You can see somebody who is out of job and you tell them, why don't you go to that place and work? They say, ah, no, 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 no. I'm a graduate. Graduate of what exactly? Graduate of what exactly? And because of this mindset, we have a job that fits our status. And, you know, in fact, one of the greatest problems I... I, my, my dad is an educationist. I read education. My wife studied education. So, we are all school people. <laughs> One of the greatest problems we have in our educational system right now, you know what this greatest problem is? People who use teaching as a stepping stone for the main work they want to do. So, they don't see the children as, they children the children as uh, people who are bringing income until they do the real job. In fact, going to the work is out of hatred. I know what I read in school. And I'm teaching primary three. If not for this country, I know where I'll be working now. I'll be the manager of chair. And so they, they, they just teach that. And you have people who are teaching with absolutely no love for teaching. No love. And the first thing a teacher communicates to the children is love. If that communication is not there, forget what you're teaching. Forget what you're teaching. I can't forget my English teacher in my secondary school days. If this man taught you English, you fell in love with English. Even in the village, he would have all this British pronunciation. I mean, we would make us laugh, we would laugh, we would enjoy. It wasn't about you passing the exams. If you failed, the man called you and found out why did you fail. He put, it, he put the love of the subject in you. I remember my math teacher. <laughs> Man. The anger, the anger showed in the blackboard. Because shocks were breaking. X minus bar. 
Yeah, X fly. <laughs> All the shots broke. <laughs> it was about when is the term closing? When are they paying me? Consciously, we have that approach to work. And even though I talk about my master teacher like that, it can be the same for you. You just show up at work, clock the tables, get the thing done. Quickly, let them pay me and let me go and live my real life. That's not how a believer should approach his work. So we found out that God commands us to work. Exodus 34, 21. Exodus 34, 21. I just want to lay the foundation this morning to have a right perspective to work. Adam was not working because of money. Exodus chapter 34. And verse 21. Six days you shall work. But on the seventh day you shall rest. Six days you shall work. But on the seventh day you shall do what? You shall rest. He didn't say seven days. Six days you shall rest. And on the seventh day you shall work. It's... Part of the commandment was to work, to work, to work, to work. Part of the commandment was to work. Be someone who values work. Don't be the one they encourage to go and work. God says he will bless the works of your hands. Understand the dignity of labor. He said, treat the job you have with dignity. Value it. All through scriptures. Let, let me read something in Genesis 26. I, I was just thinking about this. Uh, no, Genesis chapter 6. Let me show you something. I just saw it this morning in the office. And really, it was interesting. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, quickly. You know what it says? And I know we all know that story. Genesis 6 verse 8. The whole earth was full of wickedness and all that. The Bible says, but Noah found grace. The Amplified says, Noah found grace, bracket, favor in the eyes of the Lord. So when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, what happened? God says, did God now say, well, because you have found grace in my sight. I want you to build the ark, but because of the grace of God, the ark is just going to appear. Is that what God told Noah? Talk to me, church. Is that what God told Noah? No. In verse 13, what happened? God said to Noah... The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through, through them, and behold, I'll destroy them with the earth. Verse 14. Make yourself an ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it. And listen. <laughs> God. God in, in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says, you have found grace in my sight. And I thought, man, Noah has found grace. He's going to walk less now. In verse 13, God says, boy, come here. Because you have found grace in my sight, you are going to build an ark. In fact, those without grace should have been better that time. Because what were they doing? The scripture says they were eating, drinking, and doing what? Just merriment. It, and that's what we call enjoyment. 
young boys. You just get here. You hold two bottles on Facebook. Including people in this church. You know, when I see some of your Facebook pictures, I feel like a very bad pastor. Say, God is good. That's your, that's your concept of God is good. But the concept of God's grace is that He gives you an assignment that makes you to work. And see how God was describing this thing. You will build it like this. You will put the window here. Use gopher wood. He didn't say just use wood. He says go and use gopher wood. God knew the wood that will last in water. Like some of the carpenters we have here, you do something for someone. After three days, aunt is coming out. Because you want to, you want another money. That is wickedness. God says use gopher wood. What does that mean? Noah was going to leave his house, go to the farm, do what? Cut the gopher wood. God gave him measurements. God didn't just say build an ark. He said build it this high, this long. God was specific. Meaning that Noah had to do that measurement. And Bible theology said he built the ark. Well, the Bible didn't say, but his, his, his theological historian says he built the ark. He spent 40 to, between 60 to 100 years. Let's say 40 to 100 years building the ark. How can one man be building an ark? Let's even assume for 40 years. Noah, where are you going? Going to build the ark. You know what? If we say, this is your ark. This is your ark. You will eat it one day. You understand what I'm saying? Every day for 40, let's even assume it's 40 years. This guy was building an ark. And when you ask Noah, why are you building this ark? (laughs) I found grace in the sight of God. Like, no. This is slavery. God's definition of grace is excellence in your work. Paul says, I labor more than you are. Not me, but the grace of God. What was he talking about? This guy had to write to third of the New Testament from prison. That's grace. Grace does not exempt you from work. And you just hear some funny testimonies. Praise the Lord. I just went. I didn't even do anything. They just called me and said, now you are the manager. Then you start tapping. I tap into it. I tap into it. I tap into it. And what had breed a a bunch of lazy believers. No excellence in anything we do. No excellence. You can tell what a Christian has done and what a non-Christian has done. I remember one time, um, youth service, my wife, we had the, okay, no, it was our set, not your set, my own set. We, we met this believing brother. I can print. Ah, I can print. Ah, I can print. How can you carry... You know, we're in the north. We served in Zafra State. How can you carry what I can do and give to people for that religion? When your own brother is here, we said, okay. And I told them. You know, in this church, I'll tell you something. In this church, we have people who do certain things in this church. But we go and get outsiders to do it. And it's very clear. If you don't deliver exactly what will be excellent. If you like, when I come to, sh- to church every morning, you are the one that cleans my shoes and carries this thing. You will not touch the work. Because these sentiments and emotions of not making people offended is why we have, I mean, we've destroyed not just the local church, but destroyed the very system of our society. So we gave your brother... In faith, the work. By the time the guy delivered, 
You know, have you seen all those printed jobs that you, you look at it and you say, this is me, but I'm wondering, like, is this me? Then you now call somebody else. You are looking for your face. Your face. You now call somebody else. Does this look like me? Because, you know, the colors are, I mean, out of 500 booklets he printed, we could not use more than 10. Money gone. And yet, the next day, you see him, Lord, prepare me a sunshine. You felt like going to him and slap him. Say, this song. Before the Lord prepares you, let me prepare you well. What nonsense. And those are the ones to quickly worship. And because they are your brothers, you can't do anything. That's not a believer. God could trust Noah that this ark will not sink. God could trust Noah with building the ark. Even though the ark had to be kept supernaturally, God could trust Noah. Not like God says, bring two of the animals inside the ark and the elephant steps on it. The whole ark comes down. You know, for some of us, if they ask us to build the ark, we just nail it quickly. We don't even know what God wants to do. And by the time the race starts for the sake, God, you would have told me in clear terms. Because this ark was not prepared for 40 days of rain. Whatever your work is expressed, let there be excellence. David was a shepherd and a king. Luke was a doctor. In Acts chapter 16 verse 14, we found Lydia was a retailer of purple clothes. She was selling clothes. The Bible um, records all this to tell us that no job or work is less important. Daniel was like a government worker. Paul was both a preacher and a tent maker. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a homemaker. Even the Lord Jesus Christ was a carpenter. Jesus did not come as a doctor. You know, you find some people who are out of jobs and you suggest something to them. They say, ah, no, I can't do that. That's below me. How can you be poor and have options? What's below you? Yet, the man who is saying this is below me is being fed by a single parent who is cleaning for other people. The, the food you are eating daily is brought in by a cleaner. Who is your mom? She goes to that job with dignity to feed you. And yet, you want to wear, because if you don't wear coverall, you are not a human being. And helmet. And big boots. Then now, you have shown that the Lord has heard your prayers. Because you are now wearing um, coverall. Sometimes you need to consider what your own parents did to put food on the table, to send you to school. And gradually we're raising a generation that's losing the dignity of labor. One of the, one of the, one of the creeds of the Jewish society was that the highest form of giving was to make sure someone worked for their money. It's almost like we sound it in the ears of the rich. You owe me something. You owe me something. You owe me something. And we empower a lifestyle that calls 
Freelance welfare distribution as the favor of God. Unfortunately, even pastors are redefining what the church of Christ is. Instead of becoming a place where truth is taught, it's now become a place for distribution of rice and school fees and rent. Makes the work difficult. Because then you sit in the office and then everybody expects you to function in that mood. I bet you I can sit in this office for the next three months. I may hardly have someone who will walk up to me in the office and say, Pastor, I was studying this. And I had this problem. Or what you taught in church on Sunday, I didn't understand. Or this is what I'm reading, I don't understand. No, they they don't need your Bible knowledge. What do they need? Give me, give me, because my name is Jimmy. What stops you from getting out of your house in the morning and cooking in front of your house? No. I need to start cooking. How much do you need? Six million. To cook what? You're a ritual killer. You want to cook a human being. What, what exactly do you want to cook? Live your life as if no one owes you anything. Whatever anybody gives to you, you should be grateful. Nobody, absolutely, even though we're commanded to take care of the poor, it still depends on the free will of the person in obeying that command. Are we still together? Okay. Scripture gives dignity to all types of work. Not elevating any honest profession above another. Our Savior was a carpenter. Jesus did not come as a pilot. He came as a carpenter. And Bible history will tell you, Jesus did carpentry work for 30 years before he went into into, um, uh, ministry. Imagine Jesus had done tables that no one could use to eat. And then he was preaching. Repent for the kingdom of God is at that. Yeah, excuse me. Remember that table? <laughs> Remember that table? <laughs> he could have preached. In fact, one of, the, one of the reasons they were so familiar with him was because he lived among them and worked among them. And I, Well, this is Bible history. This is not in Bible. It was also said in Bible history that Joseph died quite early. So he had to be a bit responsible for the home. But I just want this morning, as, I, as we lay the foundation for this subject, appreciate the dignity of labor. Appreciate it. All the fathers of faith that we look up to in the scriptures, most of them were farmers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's hard work. That's hard work. In a book, in Your Work Matters to God by Doc Shenan, he, he talks about four, four reasons why work is valuable. Number one, true work will serve people. Most work is part of a huge network of interconnected jobs, industries, goods, and services that work together to meet people's physical needs. True work, we serve people. The chairs you're sitting on today, someone had to make them. The clothes you're wearing, someone had to make them. True work, we meet our own needs. Work allows us to exercise the gifts and abilities God has given each person. Whether paid or unpaid. God expects adults to provide for themselves. Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. Let's read it. If one will not walk, neither let him eat. He's there. If one will not walk, he should not eat. You cannot be too hungry when you are jobless. And I say, oh, I don't play with my tummy. No, you will play with it. No, look at it now. Let's read it now. Let's read it. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. Let's read what Paul said. 
So we won't say it's Old Testament. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10. Look at this. Let's read from verse 7. For you yourself have known how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Look at verse 8. This is the apostle speaking. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. You know, even as a minister, as a minister of the gospel, the Bible says those that are worthy of honor is those who do what? Who labor in word and doctrine. That is, when your pastor finished teaching you, you should be able to know that, ah, this pastor studied. That's the one that's qualified for offering. So no, I'll come and say, in January, God will bless you. I say, in February, God is going to bless you. Tomorrow, God will bless you. Today, God has blessed you. Yesterday, God has blessed you. You are blessed. You are blessed. You know, this one, zero. You are going hungry. Look at this. For you yourselves know how to follow us. For we are not disorderly among you. That means even ministers, you know, one of the things that have really affected ministries, most of us think full-time ministry is just, you know, your brother who didn't get a job, now come and say, the Lord has called me. So, most of us feel that full-time ministry is an expression of laziness. No! No, ministry is hard work. If you're really called by God. Look at this. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but walked with labor and toiled night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. That's, that should be everybody's philosophy in your, in your life. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. Of course, there are times things might be hard. Things might, might, might not go the way they will go. And of course, the church, the, the body of Christ, it's there. We work so we can have something to give, to assist. But that should not be a daily basis. You can't be constantly needing help. Take this scripture to God and pray about it. Look at what it says. We toil night and day. That we might not be a burden to you. I remember when we first came to plant the church. And uh, someone gave us some, some... No, maybe like a year after. Someone came to church, gave myself and my wife some chunk of money. And I was just walking past the UBA. I just thought of, yeah, we can start a bookshop. Then we're thinking of what she, she can do. And we started a bookshop. And till tomorrow, I still go to the bookshop to sell. I mean, I've joked with it many times. Where people will come to the bookshop, and I'm talking to them about books, and they'll say, well, I have met your madam before. And your madam has given me this price. Okay. <laughs> they say, where your madam come? Greet madam in the sense of, I'm her sales boy. So, those of you know the head, not Madame in terms of she's my wife. Madame, like, she's the shop owner at home, and this is the sales boy. That kind of Madame. And then maybe sometimes, some of those people come to church. When they say, ah, sorry, sir. Ah, it's okay. I say, ah, sir. It is well with you, sir. You know, you know, you know, people will never respect you. Until in front of that table, you put Reverend Dr. Maxwell E. Ogaga, Ph.D., Bracket USA, Mexico, XYZ. They don't even know what XYZ means. JP, PJ, JJJ. Say, yes, that man. Ah, don't play with him. Say, big man. And that's how, that's how our culture is. You see people with titles and little value. Apostles, they don't know scripture. Prophets, they only see demons. Senior prophets distribute rice. And that's what we like. 
See, that man has entered his rest. Entered his rest means he has many servants. And that's why our house help grows, leaves our house and becomes someone important. Because whatever work we should have taught our children, we taught the house help. Fifteen years later, our children can't do anything. The boil water, the water is burnt. Yes, it's just, it's burnt offering. Because you don't even know where water is boiling. Because they have everything ready for them. And in your mind, I don't want my children to suffer what I suffered. You weren't really suffering. You were being trained for life. And I'll tell you this, life is not fair. Things happen. Are you following what I'm saying? True work. Let's read, let's read. I've not read that instruction. Verse 9. Not because we do not have authority. Meaning Paul was saying, listen, we are not working because I can't, listen, I can't, I, I can call and say, I want my salary to be this amount. I can say to come and say, hey, make that office for my wife. She's the first lady of the church. Put her on salary. I can't do that. But what would that be? It would not be an example to you. Paul said we have to work to be an example. Not because we don't have the authority. Look at what he says. But to make ourselves or an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded. Everybody say commanded. We commanded you this. If anyone will not walk, neither shall he eat. It is clear. This is God's word. Ever living, ever present, eternal. Look at what Paul now says. For, for we hear that some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not walking at all, but are busy bodies. These are the ones that spread gossip. You know that message he was preaching in church on Sunday? It's because I went to see him. It's not that he studied. Do you know that when you are really engaged, you don't have time for gossip? You know, when we mention gossip, in those days, we should always think of women. Or now, the trend has even turned. Sometimes you are amazed that a man talking. This is a man. He said, guy, are you serious? He said, no, I'm just starting the story. He said, no, now, you can't be starting now. It's two hours. Look at what he says. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ. That they walk in quietness. That means talk less and walk more. Walk in quietness. And look at what And eat their own bread. Everybody say your own bread. Eat your own bread. This is God's instruction. You see bikers early in the morning. People rushing to work. You can't fry akara and pap. No, no. You want to be a contractor. You have letter-headed paper in your house that you might never use for the next 10 years. Import and export. The only thing you are importing and exporting is gossip and talk. You just want big names. You have complimentary cards all over your pocket. Replace them with money. Throw them away. I'm believing God. I'm believing God has become a statement to cover laziness. You can't be believing God if you're not putting daily actions. You believe God in the field. 
You believe God with the works of your hands. You don't sit in your house and say you're believing God. That's not believing God. That's laziness. Are we still together? Verse 3. Through work, we meet our family needs. God expects the heads of households to provide for their own families. He says, verse 1st Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. God expects us to provide for our family. Listen to me. The primary responsibility, every man in this house, the primary responsibility you have is to take care of your family. You have that responsibility. It's God-given. Nobody owes you that. You know, you just giving birth to children. They say, why don't you go use family planning? You say, ah, I cannot stop the blessing that God is bringing. Who am I to stop God's blessings? Who are you to stop God's blessings? Ten years down the line, one of your brother is with your uncle. The other one is with your stepfather. The other one, you, what should be a family has now become like um, um, senators of the Federal Republic representing different households. So you meet once in a year for National Assembly. <laughs> Why didn't God keep you together? God, I was bringing the blessing. You see, eh? if you don't use your sense, eh? it will seem as if you never accepted Christ. And all your prayers will be, oh God, when is my turn? Oh God, when is my turn? Until it's God, one day they are burying you. That means you have died. That's what I'm saying. Your turn has passed forever. The word of God teaches us daily wisdom to make life. It teaches us contentment. It teaches us hard work. It doesn't just teach us blessing, favor, miracles, increase, acceleration. That's not just what the word of God teaches us. It teaches us to work hard for our own bread. A man reads the scripture. And the next question is, Lord, what can I do? True work, we earn money to give to others. Work is not a punishment. Everybody say work. Say it one more time. Say work. Say it one more time. Say work is not a punishment. When God finished creating, He said everything He created was good. I'm going to continue with this on Sunday. Don't view work as a punishment. Look for what you can do. Sell something. You see, one thing you don't observe about life is when you start doing something, it is easier for someone to come and offer their support. So you say, oh, I see what you're doing. Can we scale it up? I remember I told you many years ago, <laughs> in fact, then I remember that story, I used to laugh. My wife knows the guy. He came to us. I want you to be my mentor. I want you to be my mentor. I said, okay, no problem. Let's mentor. The guy came one day. I have this vision. I want to start a business. I said, okay, no problem. That's good. How much? He said, what is just looking at? Like, the way he's looking at this thing. It's three million. Ah-ah. You can remember, you, you shouted, ah-ah. You know when the scriptures say, and his countenance fell. My countenance fell. So I told him that even me, and that time I can say it with all confidence, my father and my grandfather, if you put three of us together, we have not seen 
three million. That is seen in written in. <laughs> so I won't be able to mentor you. At least find somebody that has at least seen it. Three million to start. That the way you are looking at it. How are you looking at it? You, you, you ask someone a simple question. What can you do? How can I help you? He goes and do market survey of five million. You know, sometimes you feel that when someone says, how can I help you? It means that I have money that I'm not using. You know, that's the, the, how your translator translates it. That I have money I'm not using. I'm not your Eshadai. I'll tell you this. Every money someone gives to you could have been used for something for himself. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. And even some of the people you envy, if you would be close to them, some of them don't have as you think they have. You know, car is very deceptive. Eh? When I was driving, I mean, I like my car. Thank you so much for the generous gift. When I was driving the other smaller car, it was, ah, man of God, it is well with you. So they tell me it is well with me. Like, then, they bought this car for me. One guy met me. Say, sir, you have broken through in this land. You have broken through. God has given you speed. Speed. So one day the car had <laughs> tire had issues. So I drove to where they were to change the tire. Say, how much is the tire? When they told me the price, I said, is there a forkanizer that is close by? So when I went to, when I told my wife that, you know, the price of tire has changed though. Then it's no longer it is well with you. Man of God, man of God, when can I see you, sir? Because you think because I drive that car, then when I get up in the morning, we load it with money. <laughs> and then we are driving around. <laughs> you know what? One day I came to the office, I just told the guy, I said, God, just put that car behind. Just put it behind. Kenya people come with all kind of visions. Sir, I was, I was in a dream. Nobody, nobody, nobody showed me this church. Nobody. An angel just said, go there. You will find peace. I said, yeah. The angel said, you should come here. You will find peace. Yes. That's okay. You see the church door? It is never locked. Go there. As the angel has said, be unto you according to your faith. Am I your source of peace? I just said that on a lighter mode. We have a responsibility to view work from the right perspective. Are you following what I'm saying? You get up with excitement. One of the prayers you should pray today when you go home. Father, I thank you because I have a job. Don't go and say, ah, these people, all their policy, they are cutting money, they are cutting, we used to do this, they are, ah, this company, it is well with them. Listen, stop the complaint. Many people will exchange where they are for where you are a million times. Gratitude for your work. We're going to ex- ex- examine that. Gratitude. Father, I thank you for the job that you've given to me. I'm grateful that I have a job. I'm grateful that I can put food on the table for my family. I am grateful that I can help the poor. And if you don't have anything doing, 
you go before the Lord and say, Father, I've heard this word. I need to do something. And what do you do? You step out. You engage society. I'm going to show you next Sunday how the first man that God poured his spirit on was Bezalel, and he was to make crafts. Was to make crafts. God anointed the man to make craft for the temple. Isn't it amazing how beautiful the temple was in the wilderness? But what happened? It was because God anointed a man for that purpose. Praise the name of the Lord. He fed them with manna in the wilderness. But when they got to the promised land, what happened? The manna ceased. They had to work. Let's be on our feet. Thank you, Lord. I want to believe God together this morning for those who are unemployed. I want to trust God that doors will be opened for them. The wisdom of God will be made available to them for jobs. Amen. Let's agree on that. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you this morning and we decree upon those who are unemployed and those who need jobs and those who need to be able to take care of their families that the doors are opened. The wisdom of God is made available to you that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you find the right jobs in the mighty name of Jesus. That wisdom is made available to you to execute and to do that which God wants you to do. We take authority over pride. We take authority over societal expectation. We release the spirit of humility that enables the grace of God to come. We decree that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that lives will be supernaturally transformed everywhere this word is listened to. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's have our seat. Praise God. Let's just get. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575 God bless you.